0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles if you would like to Job chapter one. If you have a physical Bible, Job is a little hard to locate. It's in between the book of Esther and the Psalms. So if you find the Psalms, just keep flipping to the left. We're gonna begin at the beginning, Job chapter one, starting in verse one. We'll jump ahead to 13, but don't worry, we'll come back to that middle section because it's important. But this is the scripture reading for this morning, January 9th, 2022. I invite you to listen that by faith you might hear God's word speak to you this morning. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at their oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides, and the house collapsed, and all your children are dead, and I am the only one Who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's nothing more certain in life than the fact that you will suffer. There is nothing more certain than every one of us will face some version of suffering in our lives. It is a universal. And the temptation that we have in suffering is to tell ourselves internally, why is this happening to me? This is pointless. God doesn't care about me. I feel like I'm being hung out to dry. If only I knew why I was going through this suffering, I could bear it. And part of the reason that we're doing this sermon series is many of us, maybe in the most profound way that we've ever experienced it, have been through a season of suffering, have we not? The pandemic. Terrible, caustic, toxic political discourse. Economic ruin. Losing people we love. Watching things go away that we counted on. And we, as a teaching team, all of us teaching pastors at Bethany, we landed on this together through prayer and discernment and we felt like, and I very much feel like, this step of faith for us is going to be tremendous for the church. To look clearly at this amazing witness of Job, a, a book, a, a witness of, of the scriptures that honestly is unparalleled in how it deals with suffering. And I wanna give you just kind of a fair warning at the top. Like, this is gonna be a lengthy study and it's going to be tough. We're going to look at this book, much of which is a very dense and difficult type of poetry, Hebrew poetry, epic Hebrew poetry. It's difficult to understand because it's non-linear, and it will raise more questions than it answers, hence the title, Embracing Mystery. We are going to say at the top that there's going to be things about this study that are just going to feel mysterious, and that's okay but we're gonna move through this as faithfully as we can, as diligently as we can, and I believe that God will bless this. But I wanna say something uh, very clearly at the top. I talked to a couple people this week who shared with me when I told them about what we were teaching on. They shared with me, you know, I know Job is a book largely about suffering. I've heard about that. I, I don't think I've gone through a lot of suffering in my life. I've I've actually had it quite good. And for a lot of people, they would say, you know, well, that's been my advantage because of my upbringing or how much money I've been able to make, or it's my race, or it's, you know, all these kinds of things. There are folks who have come to this study earnestly and said, I just don't think I've had a lot of suffering compared to other people. And I get that, but I want to address that at the top. First of all, if you don't think you've had a lot of suffering, just wait. It's coming not coming for me necessarily, but it's coming. Secondly, if you feel like you've had some kind of advantage in your life, you've had, you know, protection and privilege and all these kind of things, I get all of that, but don't denigrate the suffering of others by saying, I haven't suffered that much it dishonors the suffering of others to say like, oh man, you've had it really rough. Like I've just had, you know, I've had a few things over here. I chipped a nail or, you know, I accidentally ran over my sprinkler with my lawnmower. That's the extent of my suffering. You guys have really suffered. Don't do that. Because it dishonors the suffering of others and it compromises your ability to enter into the suffering of others. And this brings me to my final point. If you don't believe you've had a lot of suffering in your life, maybe that's true. Maybe you haven't. This study may not be for your benefit right now. As we look at the book of Job, if you don't have a litany of things that have happened to you in your life where you felt suffering, you may be called to take the lessons of Job and apply that to someone else as an act of comfort and solidarity and trust. Just because you don't feel like you've been through a lot of suffering doesn't mean you can't comfort others. That may very well be what God has for us. So I want to give you the outline for our study today, now that we've kind of had those preliminary things. It's going to go like this. We're going to talk about who is Job, who is this man, what is this book about, kind of a 30,000-foot overview of some of the major themes, and then we're going to talk about the three burdens of Job that I believe are themes that we're going to come back to throughout the text. Who is Job, what is this book about and the three burdens that Job faces? First, let's talk about who is Job. Go back uh, to your Bibles and open up and look at verse Job 1, verse 1 with me. Let's start at the beginning. What do we know about Job? Just based on the text right here, we know that Job's name was Job, a man named Job. We know that he lived in a land called Uz, and this is really interesting. In the second half of verse 1, he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. The Bible doesn't say that about a lot of people. The Bible doesn't assign such a a lofty title to someone, especially not at the introduction. That is a rare bird. So he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. And it goes on at the very end of verse one, he feared God and stayed away from evil. That's still good practice today, is it not? Like live in honoring relationship toward God and stay away from evil. If my kids do that, like I'll be a pretty happy parent, right? Here's what we know about Job. It continues, verse two, he was wealthy, not just in the monetary sense, he was wealthy, verse two, because he had seven sons and three daughters. In the ancient Near East, having children was a sign of God's favor and God's blessing upon you. We talked about this when we talked about uh, the Advent story this past year. Seven sons and three daughters. So everybody who's reading this in the ancient Near East is going like, this guy's doing good. He's got 10 kids, that's great. And then it goes on. In verse 3, he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a partridge and a pear tree. He had tremendous wealth. And the historical context will help explain why. You might be hearing all these numbers of cattle and going like, that is a lot of manure and that is a lot of work. But in this day, in the day that many scholars believe Job was alive and that Job existed, that to have livestock was basically like having every stock option that your company could offer you. It was like having an investment from 1995 in a little company in someone's garage called Amazon. It was a wealth upon wealth upon wealth for Job. And the time frame in which this is happening, most scholars believe is the time of Abraham, just after Abraham. It's called the time of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. And so what do we know about that time period? This is really interesting stuff. In that time, there was no kind of established hierarchy, kingship, nation of Israel in form just yet. There were the people of Israel. Remember, God came to Abraham and said, "'I want you to be the father of many nations. You will have as many children as there are sand on the seashore.' This is the beginning of the call of God's people. But God's people were still kind of an amorphous entity at this point. Abraham was a nomadic shepherd. He was tending the livestock, a lot like what Job was doing. Many scholars believe he came from a pagan lifestyle. Abraham didn't just get born into the faith. He was encountered by, God encountered him, brought him into faith in himself. And this is a really important point for me to make that we'll come back to, because I believe that the faith of Job, this faith in Yahweh. He feared God, Yahweh. This is a new thing for the people of Israel. This is not unlike when you first started your dating relationship with your spouse. Look at these two young people. Can you believe this? This is from 2006, when Jill and I were still living in Tacoma, Washington. And I mean, geez, like Jill doesn't look like she's aged a day, right? Like, come on. I don't know who this young fella is here on the left. This is the early days of our dating relationship. I used to carry this picture around in my Bible and I would look at it, right? Like this is what you do when you first come into a relationship with someone that you love. You think about them. You you text them probably way too much. You discover emojis that you never knew existed to send them to them. You are thinking about them all the time. You are enamored of them, but what have you not done yet early on in your dating relationship? You have not had hard discussions necessarily. You've not had to get to know their family and go, what in the world? You've not had these hefty, weighty things happen yet. And I guarantee you, unless you got involved in your dating relationship in an extraordinary way, I guarantee you, you have not yet been through suffering early on in your dating relationship. This is the stage of the relationship between God and the people of Israel. The people don't yet know God that well yet, and they certainly haven't suffered with God yet. They're enamored of God. They wanna know this God. In the ancient Near East, gods and goddesses were wrathful. They needed to be appeased all the time. They were kind of bitter toward people. There was no love, there was no charity, there was no grace between the gods and goddesses in the ancient Near East and people. So this God, Yahweh, who comes to Abraham and now has found a way into the life of Job, this is a remarkable turn of events in the history of world religions. And Job, is about to be drawn into the next stage in the relationship between God and people. And it will be through the lens of suffering. So the burden, or excuse me, that's part one, that's who is Job. Part two, what is this book about? You've already heard me say this. It's about suffering, that's the major theme, it's the through line that we're gonna come back to because it's most relatable especially the latter half of the text that I read for us just a moment ago, it is blow by blow, awful. And did you notice how it was an ascending order of pain and suffering? Job loses livestock, and then he loses more livestock. He loses servants, he loses camels, he loses the more exotic animals, the ones that might've made him a little bit more money at the marketplace. And then at the very end, what does he lose? His family, his children. They're wiped out. And this is where I believe the practice of lament is so important. And we've talked about this as a church. Our racial justice and reconciliation team has really been helping us have a broader conversation around lament. One of the things the church is called to do and to be is to look at the suffering of the world and not do this. We look at the suffering of the world, the pain. That is endured, not just in racism, and then that's certainly true, but the pain of the poor and the marginalized and the voiceless. I don't know about y'all, but it's a discipline for me when I read a terrible headline about something happening in Afghanistan. I just I want to stop, and I want to lament that that country continues to experience such turmoil. It is a discipline for me not to move on to the next article, but to sit with it and to read and to sit in the pain that people are experiencing around the world. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ faithfully, is to sit with and to lament that which is evil and awful and wrong around us. So Job is going to teach us this because there's going to be more awful stuff coming. And we're just going to have to sit with it. There's not going to be a nice little bow on it. We're not going to have pat answers. We'll get into this a little bit when we talk about one of the burdens of Job. But this is the pathway that God shows us through suffering, in that suffering can be terrible. We can be honest about that, but we are also called to learn from it and not rush past it. Job is also about other things. It's not just about suffering. I talked a moment ago about these lengthy dialogues, this beautiful, but dense prose, Hebrew poetry. It's it's tough, but it's really good. Job is also about how to deal with bad advice. Job has a series of dialogues with his friends, and the dialogue with his friends starts great. Maybe you've experienced this, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. They just give him worse and worse advice. So, part of what Job is about is how to discern truth. Job is also about the faithfulness of God, And that's where we turn to the three burdens that I alluded to a moment ago. And my hope is that we will come back to these burdens throughout our study together because I believe they're essential to understanding what God is saying through the book of Job. These are burdens that both exist in the narrative of Job and I believe exist in each of our lives in some shape or form. I'm giving you three choices today. You don't have to choose any of them but I believe one of them, or maybe multiple, will land in your life in a particular way, and I will encourage you to ponder these. The three burdens are simply this, the burden of religion, the burden of suffering, and the burden of meaning. The burden of religion, the burden of suffering, and the burden of meaning. Let's talk about the burden of religion. Somebody's going, wait, 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 we're in a church. Why are you knocking on religion? Like, what? What? Isn't that your employment, dude? Like, this is a religious thing, right? I mean religion in the pejorative sense of the word, in the negative sense of the word, in the sense of empty fidelity, in the sense of lip service, in the sense of a hollow shell that people's faith can become. I grew up in Texas, I grew up in the South. There's a lot of religion in that part of the world. We got a different version of religion up here, but the version of religion that I grew up with was, your boss is going to ask you on Monday how church was on Sunday, and you better have an answer, and that was normal. And for a lot of people, it hollows out your faith to live in a system that has this expectation of religious duty, but not necessarily the calling of depth and life of relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what we'll get into next week when we talk about the wager. There is a dialogue, a cosmic wager between God and the enemy that happens in Job chapter 1. It is mind-boggling, and the enemy comes to God and basically says, does Job serve you because he loves you, or does Job serve you because you give him stuff? And he's not off the mark in that question. God, it seems like Job just serves you because you're nice to him, because you've blessed him. Look at all his cattle, look at all of his kids, look at all of his stuff. Take that stuff away and he will curse you to your face. That's what the enemy says to God. And I believe he's hitting on a truth that we need to pay attention to. If I obey God, if I seek God simply to get things from God, that is a transactional religion. If I obey God, if I sacrifice, if I give, if I serve, if I do all these things because I want to be seen as a moral person, because I want to be respected by the people around me, that's an empty, hollow faith. And it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, I obey God because I want to know God, because I want to be loved by God because I want God to be everything. I wanna learn from God, I wanna be humble before God. The gospel is Jesus Christ has given me everything and so my actions, my behaviors, they're important, but by no means can they earn me moral status or stature. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the burden of religion. Job, looking around at his pagan neighbors, would have seen neighbors offering sacrifices to this God, and we need to have better weather, so we better go sacrifice to the God of weather. And he would have seen perfunctory, performative religion all around him. And Yahweh enters into his story and says, no, 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 no. I got something better for you. You don't want that. What you want is me. Now, if this is a burden that you struggle with, let me just give you a couple of heads up. If you struggle with this burden of religion, you have an earn-everything mentality. you got to earn everything. You hate, and I don't use the word hate lightly, you hate to receive help from other people. You hate it. Because you feel like you owe them. they got to pull on you now. They can, they can ask something of you now. You struggle with grace, with forgiveness, with somebody saying to you, yeah, it's no big deal, I'm just happy to help you out. And you go, no, 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 I gotta make it up to you. Here's a Starbucks card, like here, take it. If you struggle with the burden of religion, you are harsh toward others and toward yourself when you encounter grace. The second burden I wanna talk about is the burden of suffering. And it is a real burden, and you have my word. As we go throughout this study, as we talk about suffering, we will not give pat answers about it. We will not say trite things to help alleviate your experience of suffering. No, we will look to the God who suffers with us for our comfort. There's an incredible amount of suffering in Job. We are just getting started. And that does something to a person. Think about the people you know who have suffered a ton Think about chapters of your own life when you've been through suffering. It does something to you. It shreds your hope. It shreds your sense of like, I think I'm living a good life. Why are these things happening to me? You ever wanna see what long-term suffering does to someone? Go visit a prison. Go sit with people who are incarcerated. They think every day about the pain that they have caused others, or the laws that they have broken, and they live in this terrible purgatory. That's why Jesus told us to pay attention and to minister to people in prisons. It is a place where suffering is writ large. And if you don't go to prison, which I pray none of you ever do, you will work really hard to avoid suffering. I can't even list the numbers of systems and constructs and services and apps and all these things that we have to theoretically surround ourselves with an impenetrable wall to prevent suffering. Here's the problem with that. The Scriptures have never promised anyone freedom from suffering. We worship a Savior who suffered on a cross to achieve reconciliation, restoration, and salvation. So you take suffering out of your life. You spend hours and hours and days and weeks and months and years and thousands and thousands of dollars to avoid suffering. You avoid the path of Jesus. You avoid the very footsteps that the Savior walked in. God doesn't want us to suffer, but he loves us too much to perfectly protect us from it. And the reason for that is because of how it shapes our character. So if you are burdened by suffering, here are some things that you try to do. You place a tremendous value on controlling everything in your life. From the temperature of your home, to the fluffiness of your pillow, to the sharpening of your pencil, you name it. You want it to be comfortable. And you are offended when you face discomfort. Safety, security, certainty, these are all kind of the holy trinity of people who struggle with suffering, with wanting to inoculate ourselves from suffering, and you are very upset when you face discomfort. That's the burden of suffering. Job is as real as the day is long about suffering, and it is a real deal for us to have to reckon with it, and we will do that throughout our study together. The final burden I wanna talk about is the burden of meaning. And this is something that is a place of wrestling for me and I know for many of us because we tend to be kind of a heady bunch. And if you grew up in the West, especially like in the United States, if you didn't grow up abroad, this is really hard. In this attitude, A plus B equals C. It must equal C. A plus B equals C, right engineers? It must work like that. And if it doesn't, oh man, what did I do wrong? What, what, what happened? What's going on here? The linear progression has to work. And that's a hallmark of life in the West. Job wasn't written by an American. Job wasn't written after the enlightenment. Job was written in the ancient Near East and it won't play by our rules. It will not work itself out in the end like we want it to. Case in point, after all the suffering that Job goes through, God doesn't sit him down and say, hey, Job, listen, This is why all this happened to you. Because we're writing a book of the Bible about you, dude. Like, good job. Way to go. No. God gives no answer to Job about why he went through his suffering. None. And for many of us, we hear that reality and we go, that's evil. Why would you not want to tell someone why they went through suffering? That is cruel and wrong. No, it's not. Because it's not about the information. It is about the way God transforms Job through the book of Job. To not know for some of us is impossible. How many of you say, hold on, I got to look it up? And you get out that little glowing rectangle and you got to look it up. That's this burden of meaning. You've got to know, you've got to understand. And there's nobility in that. And there is a distracting pain in that. So if this is your burden, you gotta look it up. You can't not know. The idea of having mystery in the title of a sermon series makes you cringe. Why are we gonna talk about mystery? Doggone it. Because God is God and we are not. And this is how we'll close today. God says this to Job. Job says this to God, excuse me, in verse 21. And he's basically saying this, God is God and I am not. I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. Past tense. I know it's gone. It came from the Lord. And the Lord has taken it away. And I bet you he says this with tears in his eyes. Praise the name of the Lord. To be a person of character and of deep faith means that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of unimaginable pain like what Job went through, you don't take your eye off the ball. You know that God is with you. You know that he is the source of your blessing. You know that everything is a gift from him. And it is not easy to remember that, friends. But this is the incredible witness of the book of Job, and this is what we will dive into in the weeks ahead, is he desires, God desires to lift these burdens off of us, the burdens of suffering, the burdens of of meaning, the burden of religion. He doesn't want you to live with those burdens, and he will not let Job live with those burdens, and he will not let us live with those burdens. But will those burdens be instructive? Oh, yeah. You better believe it because he desires to form the kind of character in you and in me that we could never have come up with for ourselves. After my dad died two and a half years ago, I was just numb for months. Like I just could not think straight. I was not present with people, which is kind of a weird thing for me. I didn't have a lot to offer. I was just kind of here. And if you've been through grief, you know what that's like. But I will praise God for the way that he has shaped my character since my dad died. I will praise God for the way that he has reinvigorated my desire just to be with my children, just to bless my wife, just to be a spouse who loves Christ and loves the people in front of me. And yeah, I I valued that before my dad died, but it's different. There's a, a gentleness in my spirit toward other people who've been through suffering. I didn't really have that before. There's a a willingness to sit with others' pain and to not try to explain it. That, I believe, is the kind of thing that God desires to teach us through our suffering and through the study of Job. I pray that he will reveal to each of you how to lift that, how to manifest that, how to make that point toward the real faith that he desires, which is not empty religion, which is not avoidance of suffering, which is not a lathering ourselves into striving for meaning all the time. It is instead a rest in the God who meets with Job and will meet with us. May it be so. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. And I pray that what was spoken just now that is of you would be good for your people would be very nourishment for our souls, and I pray that what is not of you, anything that I may have said out of arrogance or whatever, that it would be quickly forgotten. Lord, would you elevate now in our conversation a greater awareness of and desire for the truth of the gospel? Would you lift these burdens from us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.